Colossians 3. We uh, will start a new series today in Colossians. We're going to be several weeks in Colossians 3, 1 through 17. And uh, it kind of really dovetails nicely from uh, Easter. We finished the book of Mark last week uh, on Easter Sunday. And then it kind of flows right in as we talked about the resurrection of Jesus. Today we'll talk about what does our new life in Christ look like? What is a what does a new identity in Jesus look like? So I think this is really uh, a really important series for us to do right now and in in where we're at as a, as a church. I think that we tend to, as a culture, um, especially Western culture and the 21st century, you know, San Francisco sensibilities, we kind of just tend to settle in those sensibilities. And before we're San Franciscans and before we're left coasters or, or whatever you want to call it, we have to be Christians, we must think biblically about things, and not in the sense that you just listen to uh, a sermon or listen to a pulpit, and then, and then that's, that's it, but wrestle through these ideas and thoughts yourself. Wrestle through the gospel yourself. Preach the gospel to your own heart. Wrestle through scripture. And that's what I want to, and I hope that you do over the next several weeks. Um, one of the reasons, this is why we uh, curated a couple of uh, books for the series. They haven't actually come in yet, so, um, but they will be in next week, and what we hope to do is that you'll... You'll read some of these books, wrestle through them, maybe even start a little club with your friends or something, going through some of these very important books, and then also to memorize Colossians 3. Um, Commit uh, Colossians 3 to memory. I actually had to do that between services and recite some of these things to myself and preach to myself. Um, I'll get into that in a second. But let me read Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to read chapter uh, 3, 1 through 17. I won't really get into this that much today, uh, but I I just kind of want to read it so you kind of see how it dovetails into the resurrection of Jesus and then what our new lives look like today. And so I'll read it, and then I'll pray and ask God for help as we begin this this study. Colossians 3, verse 1. It says, uh, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things on the earth, that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden now with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them away. Anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as... God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if someone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which, uh, in which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell uh, in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with, in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs 
with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's our text this morning. Um, actually, it's our text next several weeks. Let's pray. God, we uh, thank you so much that you've given us your word, that we, as, as we trust in you and believe in you, we have new life. We have a new identity, Lord. The old has passed away and the new has come. And I know that some of us, a lot of us, me, we have difficulty living into this. There's so many things that we got, get bombarded with every single day, telling us things that we need, telling us things that we should have, telling us things that we are. So, Lord, I think it's just important that we meditate on this section of Scripture. That this would be more true about us than anything else. Give us faith this morning to believe that. I know that it's very difficult for us to believe that we're loved, deeply, deeply loved, no matter what we do. And we we think we have to earn things so often. Reveal to us the free gift of salvation, of love. I was found in Christ. Would you anoint me and use me this morning or this afternoon? Desperately need your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So as you read that and as we saw there, this is, um, this, what I want to talk about for the next several weeks is that our, 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 what is our new identity in Jesus? And the question that I want to ask today and I want to continue to ask you in the weeks ahead as we look at Colossians 3 is how do you know who you are? How do you know who you are, who you really are? How do you know your identity? How do you find your identity? How do you find your true self, yourself, your centered, true self? We just finished um, a study, a 16-month study in the book of Mark. And the way that we framed the series was by saying that Mark sets out to show us the real, authentic Jesus. That's what Mark does. He shows us who Jesus really was, what he's come to really do. Now, in this new study that we're... um, and embarking on this morning or this afternoon, this new study, I want to pose that same question to you. I want, to, I want you to ask yourself. I know this is difficult. This takes some mental energy, but I hope that you go there with me. I want to ask you what and who you are really. Who is the real you, the authentic you? What is the most true about you? If you write that question, if you take notes, write that question. What is the most true about me? What is the most true about you, and what are you living into? What is your identity? Most of us, if we profess that we're Christians, or even if we don't profess that we're Christians, typically we live out of one of three places. We either live out of what we do. This is kind of how we find our identity. By what we do, what we have, or what we desire. Those are the three ways, typically, that we find out who we are. Now, all of us, no one's immune to this. And you're like, well, but I, 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 I'm a Christian. I don't really do that anymore. No, everyone in here, to some degree, does this. We find our identity by what we do, by what we have, and by what we desire. The first one, what we do, this is a, a fairly obvious one, especially in this city. I am my job. I am my career. I am my art or my sport or my craft. That's what defines me. That's where I find my true self. I am what I do. We even find our identity in being a good mom. I find my identity that I'm the good mom, or I'm a good dad, or I'm a good husband, or I'm a good wife. I'm the good middle child. That's where my identity comes from. I was the obedient middle child 
The older one was the overachiever. The younger one was the brat, but me. I was just the, you know, I just kind of skated through life. That's where I find my identity. I'm the good, or even I'm the good Christian friend. I'm there for everyone. I'm the good Christian friend. That's where I find my identity. Or we find our identity in who we date or who we don't date or the fact that we can't get a date or we really want a date or we date everyone. That's where we find our identity. And that's where we kind of like, that's, that shapes us. That's what people, like the label that people give to us. And we even comfort ourselves with that. But at least I can get a date. When everything goes wrong, at least I can get a date. And that's sometimes what we tell ourselves. Even, even, even if you can't, if you can't get a date, you tell yourself something else. At least I make this much money. At least I live in this place. At least I have this. What is, um, identity is, is said to be what's identical about you in every situation. What is identical about you at, when you're at work, when you're at home, when you, what is the most identical about you? That's your identity. And a lot of us find that in what we do. I am what I do and what I do well. Like I told you, I, I mean, this is, I'll, I'll just confess this to you that I still find my identity in what I do. And I, I, and it's not to the degree that I, what it once was, but it's still there. Like first service, I thought it went horrible. It was hot in here. When it's hot, my only place that I like really sweat is like my face. And so I'm like sweating and I'm like using a handkerchief and I'm sweating. And I just feel like I'm not connecting with people. And then I ran and hid after, after teaching. I ran upstairs. No, I don't want, it wasn't sympathy. I was just I'm telling you. I ran upstairs and I'm like, that was horrible. I emailed, I texted my sister, my friend. We always, he's a pastor as well. He goes, how was it? I'm like, I think I just, I, I did horrible and I hate myself or something like that. And I'm like, and then I, again, I had to preach and just listen, you get bombarded with all of these messages every single day in a hundred different ways that you should be this and you should be that. You must, you must meditate on scripture. You must, you must memorize it. So I was up there. I'm like, why am I hiding? Why am I high? Why am I up here? I had to get down there and, you know, just say hi to people and get around. I'm like, I, I, I need to rework this sermon. This is horrible. And in that, that very moment, it's like, you're still, you're still trying to find, you're still just trying to work out the teaching in your own heart. You're still, and then I, I be, being, you know, hidden up there. I remember Colossians 3, that my life was hidden with Christ in God. And it brought me joy. Seriously, like, why do I hide? I always hide. You guys probably hide. We hide behind our success. We hide behind our failures. We hide away from our failures. We hide in our successes. We're like, we put up all these masks. We hide. We do all of these things. But our life truly is hidden with Christ and God. Telling that to myself, preaching that to my own heart, I was able to not go, well then, because sometimes the way we comfort ourselves is, well, I'll just do better then. I'll do better. And that's how I justify myself. I'll do better second service. I'll do better next week. And we do this all the time. We justify ourselves by what we do. And I am no different. I do the same thing. And I have to preach this to my own heart. I am what I do and I'm what I do well. But what happens? What happens when you preach a bad sermon? What happens when you lose your job? What happens when your, the, the creativity of your art goes through a dry spell? And you can't create like you once did. You can't create musically, artistically, you can't write, like you can't put together, everything that you're creating is junk and you know it. Like, who am I? I'm not an artist because I can't create anything. Way to go, artist that can't create. Therefore, I'm not an artist anymore. Who am I? And you lose yourself. We do that with our jobs, with our art. What happens when you get injured in your sport or your kids don't turn out to reflect the perfect parent you think you are? 
What happens when you're not a good leader or a, the boss that you thought you were? What happens when you disappoint your parents or you act as you don't act as the good Christian friend that you know you should have and someone throws that trip on you? I thought you were a good Christian. I thought I didn't think Christians did that. You lose a sense of self, don't you? We kind of lose our identity. We lose who we are. And there's feelings of condemnation and sometimes full-blown identity crisis. You lose your sense of self. This is what happened to me <laughs> between first and second service, but it also happened to me when um, I left my hometown where I was pastoring and, and I was on staff there for almost 10 years and left to, to begin to start this church. And the, the rule is, and some of you have heard this story, the rule is you have to work a job for the first year. So I was in Carpinteria working a job. I went from being Pastor Dave to Bank Teller Dave. Me working at a bank. This is just funny if you know anything about me. First off, that I'm not really good at counting. And I get this job. And, and, I, and I'm, not, no, I'm no longer Pastor Dave who, who like ministers to people and prays for people and counsels people. And people look to him to pastor them and care for them. I'm Bank Teller Dave. I'm give me money out of my checking, please, Dave. And that's who I am. And that's a great job. But I lost a sense of self. I had a full-blown identity and quarter-life crisis. Full-blown. And I realized during that year, during that year, I realized that my identity had come from what I did. You might not know this yet. Some of you I know have lost jobs and you've gone through this. Some of you, you haven't. It's just been uh, favor after favor after favor in your work. And praise God for that. That's awesome. So you don't know this yet. You might know this a little later when you fail at something, or you might learn it in some other way, but you will come to this place where you realize, I, I think I, I find my identity in what I do, and that's where I was. I realized even working for, working at a church that my identity was not found in Jesus, but working for Jesus. I was, I was working for God, and that was my identity. And this happens to all of us to one degree or another. There's also a negative side to this. And that was kind of a, uh, uh, you know, I find my, my identity in doing good and doing good and doing good. There's also a negative side to this. Negative side in finding our identity in what we do. Some of us find our identity by being the bad son, the rebellious daughter, or the one who drinks too much or eats too much, or the one who always messes everything up, the screw up. That's where you find your identity. The second thing is we find our identity in what we have. We find our identity in what we have and what we acquire, things that, and this is not so prevalent today, but it's still there. I am my money. I am the, my, my toys, the things that I have, how much we make or how much we possess. But it might even be our good looks. You are the person who can always, always count on your good looks. No matter what you wear, no matter what you put on, everybody's like, you look so great. You look wonderful. You're just so beautiful. And that's where you find your identity or your fashion sense or your intelligence. This might even be where some of us, what we bring to the table as a Christian, pulling our own weight in our relationship with God. We can even find our identity in that. This can also take place in our, our like our quote, lot in life. We find our identity in our lot in life. For example, we find our identity in being the person who grew up without a dad. We find our identity in an abusive coming from an abusive or a broken home. Or we're the person that has the disability or the shortcoming. I'm that person. And those things define us and we build our lives upon them for better or for worse. And these things are unstable 
These things are destructive, but we do it, every single one of us. And lastly, this is becoming more and more true. We build our identity on what we desire, the things that we want. I am what I want. I am what I desire. I am how I feel. And this is how people construct a sexual identity. I am what I desire. I am what I'm attracted to. So um, I desire him. I'm attracted to him. Then you must be fill in the blank. Well, I'm attracted to her. Then you must be fill in the blank. Well, I'm attracted to both. Then you must be fill in the blank. And then that's it. Stamp. That's your identity. It's like we're attracted to something or someone, and that desire, that attraction, that want comes with a corresponding identity and community. I am what I desire. One book I read this week put it this way. God created sexuality, and people created sexual identity. We find our identity in what we desire. I have to be brief on that point because I really want to cover it in detail later. But the point that I'm trying to make with all of these things is this. What we do, what we have, and what we desire give us identities. And when one of these things is disrupted or conflicting, we don't have a self anymore. When our desires conflict... We have an identity crisis. When the things that we have are lost, we have an identity crisis. Some of these identity markers are true about us no matter what we do, no matter how we try to rise above them. They're still true about us, and we wish that it wouldn't be. And what I want to suggest to you today, and what I want everyone to listen to, just listen to this. Meditate on this. Get this deep, deep, deep in your mind, but more importantly, deep in your heart. The heart is more difficult. Get this in there. I want to suggest to you that the truest thing about the person who has placed their faith in Christ is that you are loved and accepted by God. The truest thing about you, if you have placed your faith in Christ, the truest thing about you is that you are loved and accepted by God. I'm just going to come right out with this and say this. I don't have time to really build all this momentum up to this point. I'm just going to come out and give you the point right at the very beginning. You have a new identity in Christ. You're new. The old things have passed away. All things have become new. Not because of anything you have done, but because of what Christ has done on your behalf. And that is true about you no matter what you desire. Listen, that is true about you. No matter what you desire, no matter what you have done, no matter what you have. That is true. That is the most true about you. It is true of you because it, it's because of what Christ has done, done nothing that you have done. Henry Nouwen wrote in his book, Life of the Beloved, which will be one of the books that we have. I highly recommend that you read this. He says this in his book. From the moment we claim the truth of being the beloved. Now what he means by that He's saying, the moment that you claim the truth, that Christ's love on the cross, and you receive that, you receive the forgiveness of sin, the wrath of God has been removed, and you trust in Christ, the second that you claim the truth, that God loved you so much that he died for you on a cross, the second that that's your truth, that's true about you, and you, you apply that to yourself, the second that you do that, he says this, this is so profound, we are faced with the call, this biblical call, to become who we are. Listen, I, want, I just want you to med- just think about that for a second. You, 
If you've trusted in Christ, you are faced with the call to become who you are. I know that's a bit provocative of Asia. You're like, what does that mean, become who I am? That sounds so trippy. Like, I have to become who I am? Yes, you are Christ's. And you are hidden in Christ. And you are accepted in the beloved. And that that has to be the most true thing about you. And you need to, you must become who you are. Let that sink in. You are loved by God, accepted by God, put in right relationship with God by nothing that you have done. Not because you're from the right family, not because you have the right education, not because you have the right desires, not because you have the right job, but because of the sacrificial, atoning death and resurrection of Jesus. That's who you are. You belong to God. Now our call, our call according to Paul in Colossians 3 and now in is to become who we are now, to live out of that truth, to make that the fountainhead, the source of our life, where we, where we try to gather self-esteem, where we gather life, where we gather motivation, all of that must come from this place. How do we live as if this was the most true about us? Because the most true about you, listen, is not your addiction. That does not define you. It's not your family past or your desires or your job, but that you are loved in Christ, you have died, and you have been raised with Christ. That is the most true about you. Now, how do we live from this place? What does it look like to actually live out of this place? It looks like this. Jesus' baptism. In Matthew chapter 3, Jesus was, was baptized by John in the Jordan River. Now, this probably is very familiar to most of you. Jesus goes into the river, Jordan, to be baptized by John. John stops him. He's like, wait, 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 whoa, dude. I know who you are. You should be baptizing me. I should not be baptizing you. This is crazy. Jesus is like, no, we have to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And John's like, I'm all about fulfilling all righteousness, man. So let's do this. Okay, so he does. And listen to what it says. He didn't really say that. I just kind of added that. Anyway, um, so he baptizes him. This is what he said. It says in verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. So he goes into the water. He comes up and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on Jesus. And behold, a voice from heaven. It said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. When Jesus went into the water, what did Jesus hear? He heard this affirmation, this affirming word, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. This is identity. You are my son. You are my beloved son, and I am pleased with you. This is where, this is your identity. This is who you are, but what happens next? What happens next is that Jesus is sent by the Spirit of God into the wilderness to be tempted. It's always pretty scary to be alone and silent. I don't know if you ever get alone in complete silence without music on or background noise. Alone, silent. Sometimes we get tempted. Sometimes what happens is we begin to think about all the stuff that lay hidden because of our constant busyness. And Jesus is alone, quiet, and fasting for 40 days. And it says he was hungry, which I think is kind of funny to even even say that. Like he wasn't going to be hungry. 
But it says that he was hungry and he was alone. And then Satan comes and he tempts him. Now, here's a question. How did Satan tempt Jesus? He tempted him with other identities. He said, I know that God said, the Father said that you are his son, beloved, but let's make you, let's, let's do something else with you here. Let's reshape your identity. Let's prove what this really means. He tempted him with other identities. And identities that he, he could, he could kind of like fall into, that he could define himself with. I mean, being the beloved of God is a bit ambiguous. What does that even mean? Satan goes, well, let's set this thing in more concrete then. This is what it means. If you are the son of God, you might remember this. If you are the son of God, then turn this stone into bread. Just stone, you're hungry, you've been fasting. I know you're hungry. You don't have to be the suffering servant, Jesus. Feed yourself. Don't suffer. And then Jesus says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then Satan tempts him again. If you are the son of God, jump off the pinnacle of the temple. If you jump off the pinnacle of the temple, surely the angels will catch you right before you hit the ground and the people will go crazy and you will be an instant celebrity. And you don't have to live your life in obscurity. You don't have to be known as the carpenter from Nazareth, which he was in his ministry. Who's this guy? He's just from Nazareth. He's just... The, the son of Joseph. Who is this guy? Jesus, Satan's like this. You, I can give you fame. I can give you instant celebrity. People will know your mission immediately. You jump off the pinnacle, the angels will stop you, you will land on the ground, and you'll be like, bam. And everybody will be like, you are, who are you? I want to follow you. It'll be great. Do that, Jesus. And Jesus says, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So Satan goes, okay, I think I know what you really want. So he takes Jesus up to a very high mountain. Shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and says, I'll give you all of this. You're the son of God. You're worth all this right now. You can have it all right now. Worship. You deserve it. If you worship me, I'll give it all to you right now. And Jesus says, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. See, Jesus was tempted with a false identity, living into a false identity. He was told by the Father, you are my beloved, I am pleased with you. Then immediately after, he was tempted with all these other identities. This is no accident. This happens every single day to us in a million different ways. Jesus was tempted by loving himself. Jesus was tempted by turning stone into bread. I mean, Jesus, you can't take on the world until you take care of yourself. Take care of you first. You have a big role to play in the future of humanity. Maybe you should carve up. Maybe. Take care of yourself. Feed yourself. Take care of number one. I mean, we're tempted like this every day to find our identity like this in looking inward, serving ourselves first. Take care of me first. Me, me, me. Jesus was tempted to find who he was by loving recognition, status. You might even say instant celebrity. By jumping off the highest point of the busy temple and letting angels dramatically catch him right before he hit the ground would have been a trending topic on Twitter in like seconds. Would have been like hashtag Jesus almost died. Or hashtag caught by an angel. I don't know. It's just many things. So all he could have done that. He would have been an instant celebrity. Instant. Everybody would have worshipped him. Everybody would have said, this is the Messiah. Look who... Angels caught him. This is where you might find your identity and how many friends you have. How many people know you. 
How many people work for you? How many people love you or know about you? What people think and say about you? Recognition, status, looking outward to others to find who you are. Magazine I read this week, um, the cover story was, it said, real big letters, enough about you. And it had this caricature of uh, Kim Kardashian on the front. And then the subtitle was, meet the me, me, me generation. And inside of it, it said this, according to a new study, college students would rather get a boost in self-esteem from a good grade or a compliment than eat their favorite food or have sex. And apparently the conclusion one could extract from this data is clear. Young people today are super into themselves. It goes on to say that we don't, and, and this person said, and this uh, person that was writing this was, um, I think they were doing their, their grad work and they were writing this article and they, they said, um, we don't build our self-esteem through likes, retweets, views, and comments out of self-love, but in pursuit of affirmation. That's why we want people to retweet us. That's why we want people to write on our walls. That's why we want, that's why we blog. That's why we write. That's why we do all of these things. That's why we want to see how many views people have of our pictures. Why? Because of affirmation. And this is true of every single one of us. And it was true of Jesus as well. That's why it was a temptation for him. You can't say it wasn't a temptation for him. It was. It was a temptation for him to receive affirmation by jumping off, and attention by jumping off the temple. But he lived, he fought temptation, and he lived out of the identity that was, that he was affirmed by the Father, that he was the beloved Son, and that's where his identity came from. Jesus was able to own his own identity and live out of the fact that he was beloved by God. And this was the most true about him. Now, how do we do this? You're like, okay, so that was Jesus, how do we do this? It starts here, listen. You are not your desires. Because every single one of us is this ball of contradictory desires. We want things that are contradictory to one another. You are not your desires. You are not what you do, because what you do can change like that. You are not what you have. That can be taken away. You are loved by the unchangeable love of Christ shown to us by his obedient life, his substitutionary death, and his justifying resurrection. And before you know what to do as a Christian, I don't know, when I read Colossians, I don't know how many of you guys just heard all things that you have to do. Did you guys do that when I read? Okay, so the Bible's telling me I have to do this, 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 and not do this, this, and this. See, before we know what to do as a Christian, you must know who you are. The Bible never says you must do this. It always says first, this is who you are. And you must know who you are before you know what to do. This is the indicative versus the imperative. Before the Bible gives us imperatives, before it gives us things that we have to do, it first says, this is who you are. Let me prove it. Colossians 3. If then you have been raised with Christ. First thing Paul says, listen, you've been raised with Christ. You are, you've died and you've been raised with Christ. And you have a new life. Then he says this. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. These are all, all of these things are indicatives. They are true about you. You have been hidden in, in, in Christ. Listen to this other one. Christ who is your life. 
Christ is now your life. Before Paul tells us what we must do, he tells us who we are. Before we can ever grasp, before we ever move on in Colossians, before we talk about things that you have to stop doing and things that you must start doing, you must know who you are. Because all of those things become self-help. I was reading this book on the plane. Um, I was flying back on Friday from uh, a place, and I was reading this book on the plane, and the stewardess was like, uh, what, what book are you reading? It was like this really bright yellow book. And caught her eye, what book are you reading? I'm reading this book about um, culture and and and. Um, society and, and, and consumerism and, and like trying to do all these messages that get bombarded on you every day to define who you really are. She's like, oh, so self-help book. I'm like, no, because it says the only way that you could find who you really are is by losing yourself in Christ. And she's like, okay, bye. <laughs> See, everyone's into self-help. Everyone. I was like, yes, yeah, super self-help. How do, you, how do you help yourself? Well, you have to do this. Um, you should eat uh, like a lot of spinach and um, get good rest and take uh, vitamin B. Like she's like, I'll write it down. I'll totally do that. But when we're like, it's who you are. It's not what you do. It's who you already are in Christ because of what he's done. You're like, no way. And before the Bible ever tells us what we do, it tells us who we are. You must know who you are. You must become who you are in Christ. Now, it's always dangerous. I use that example of Jesus being tempted. It's always dangerous to use Jesus as an example because he's perfect. Like, that's not really fair. I would have totally jumped off the temple because that sounds fun, okay? We would fail every single time. And that's, it's correct. We are not. But listen, why did Jesus tell John, I must be baptized? Why didn't Jesus go, you know what, you're right. Because he could have been standing there like, hey, everyone does need to repent. Why did Jesus get baptized? Jesus was baptized to identify with us. Jesus was baptized so he can step into our mess. He was baptized to take on mortal flesh, to take on the powers that try to to make us into something that we're not. Jesus would so completely identify with us that he would die our death and go under. Go under the waters of baptism. Go under, under the wrath of God under the separation that comes from our sin, under the heavy cross, but he would rise again. He would come out of the water. He would come out of the grave. He would come out of death. See, Jesus was baptized to identify with us. And here's a cool thing. We are baptized to identify with him. He was baptized that he would identify with us in our humanity, in our, even our sinfulness. But we are baptized to identify with him. How do you mean? Colossians 2. Have you been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God? See, the wonderful thing about baptism, which we're going to have tonight, several people are going to be baptized. I hope many more in this room. The wonderful thing about baptism is this, is this picture that you're identifying with Jesus. That yes, I have died. And my, 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 my failure, my sin, my old identity was nailed to the cross and died there. Thank you very much. But hopefully you'll come out of the water tonight. You won't just stay in the water. We will lift you up out of the water. Picture of that you've been risen again. You have been raised with Christ. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forsaken all our trespasses. 
by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. We get Jesus' record. His victory over temptation becomes our victory over temptation. We are hidden in Christ. Last week on, at, on Easter Sunday, which is just such a wonderful, wonderful Sunday to get everyone together. It's just great. I, end with, I ended with a story. I said it was like one of my favorite stories as a young, uh, when I first started teaching the Bible to junior hires. It was like one of the ways I really understood and grasped what it means to, to not just simply believe in Jesus, but to trust in him. And the story um, was about this, this tightrope walker named Blondin who tightrope walked over the Niagara Falls. He did all these crazy tricks over it, and he kept on upping his stunts every week. And then the last time, he was going to take a person over on his back. And everyone believed that he could do it. He would go around and he goes, who believes that I can carry a man on my back across the Niagara Falls on a tightrope? And everybody goes, we believe. And everybody believed. And people even signed up to get on his back. On his back. Then he goes, okay, who wants to get on my back? And no one got on his back. Now, we believe, but we don't really trust. Now, I shared that story, and I ended it, and then people came up to me afterwards, like, was that a true story? I'm like, yeah, it's a true story. I've been to Niagara Falls. I saw actually Blondin's, like, thing, his picture, whatever. There, I, 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 it's, it was a true story. Well, well how does it end? I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot that part. It ends like this. His, no one volunteered. Until Harry, his manager, was made to go over because he's his manager. You know, he's kind of obligated. So Harry gets on his back, his manager, and they walk him over. And the newspaper reported the next day that what happened was they almost died several times. Because as soon as the tightrope swayed, they swayed, Harry would like tense up and try to pull him back. And a couple times they almost went to their death. And then they, it was reported that Blondin screamed over the, 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 the huge falls, screamed, listen, if you want to... Save us. If you try to overcorrect us from balancing, you will, we will both perish. We will both fall and die. You must give up. Hang on to me and let me do it. Don't try to save us. You'll kill us both. And he did. And he just hung on and they went across and they came back. What Blondin was saying is that if you try to save your life, you're going to lose both of our lives. But if you lose your life, in my life, and if you completely trust in me, you will save it. And this is what it basically means to be a Christian, that you can't save yourself, that you can't generate a, a um, sustainable identity. You have to lose your life in the life of Jesus. You have to lose your identity to find your true self. And this is what baptism reflects. It's identifying that we have died with Christ and you have been raised with Christ to new life. That we have a perfect record and identity that has been stamped into us. We're given the Holy Spirit of God that lives in us, that perfects us and makes us whole. We are new creations. The old has passed and behold, the new has come. And once we get that and preach that to ourselves, we will live out of a healthy place, a solid rock that is Christ. I thank you for your grace and your love. And I pray, Lord, I, 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 want, I, I almost want during this like series just to be across the table from everyone here and just speaking your life into them. 
I know that people walk in this room just wrecked, confused, conflicted. But I also know there's some people that don't even give a second thought about this. They have been so identified with what they do and who they are, they have never thought twice about it. Would you give us wisdom? Would you give us wisdom today to pour our life into your hands and to be given a new life? Pray for people in here that have never trusted in you. They would turn their heart to you. They'd repent of their sins. They would believe upon Christ and be saved. They would lose their lives save it. Hey, for those that have this desire to be baptized, but are really just wrestling through it, I pray that they would take a step of faith, they would trust in you, God, they'd be identified with you in baptism. Would you minister to us right now? I know this just needs to get deep in our heart, we need to explode in our heart. Make this the most true about us, that we are beloved of God. Jesus' name.